This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. CARP is expanding to open an office in British Columbia to better serve Western Canada. CARP VP of Advocacy Wanda Morris will join us to talk about it and her exciting new role. And what is the senior boomerang generation? We'll talk with generational author David Kravitz about how our increasing life expectancy means a new generation of caregivers. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A sad update on a story we first told you about back in February. James Acker, an 86-year-old man who was beaten by a fellow resident in a Dundas nursing home, may not have long to live. According to his family, Acker's health has taken a turn for the worse, and doctors are now saying he may not live long enough to get into a palliative care hospice, a process that takes about two weeks. The Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care inspected St. Joseph's Villa Nursing Home after the incident and found it was in violation of several regulations, but the home is not required to make changes and only needs to do so on a voluntary basis. Here is Tammy Carbino, Acker's daughter. My father was basically murdered. And nobody is being held accountable. And I do not blame the other resident who attacked my father. His needs were not met. For five weeks prior, he was exhibiting queer behavior that, you know, needed um, the support of BSO or that needed a care plan. And none of that was put into place. Leonard Cohen's legacy will be commemorated with a towering mural in his hometown of Montreal. The iconic singer, songwriter, and poet will grace the side of a 20-story building in Quebec's largest city. When it's completed in September, it's expected to be one of the largest murals in Montreal. Cohen died last November at the age of 82. She was Canada's longest-serving mayor, and even in her 96th year, Hazel McCallion is still racking up the honours. This week, Hurricane Hazel was presented with a key to the city of Mississauga, where she was first elected mayor in 1978 and served until 2014. McCallion is also the subject of a Mississauga City Hall exhibit, which features personal items like some of her outfits, along with archival material highlighting her political career and her love of sport. An author we featured on this show a year ago is up for another major literary award. Sandra Martin is a finalist for the $50,000 Donner Prize for her book, A Good Death, making the most of our final choices. Martin has already won the $40,000 British Columbia National Award for Canadian Nonfiction 
and is also a finalist for the John W. Defoe Book Prize. The winner of the Donner Prize will be announced at an awards ceremony here in Toronto on May 15th. And the legendary Queen of Soul is bringing her voice to the summer's Toronto Jazz Festival with a performance set for Canada Day at the Sony Centre. Aretha Franklin is among the most decorated singers of all time, winning 18 Grammys. She was the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and is a U.S. Presidential Medal of Freedom honoree. Franklin is releasing a new album in the fall and says she plans to drastically cut down her touring schedule, making this one of the last opportunities to see the Queen of Soul perform live. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A major expansion is in the works for CARP, a new vision of aging. Since Moses took over in 2008, we've seen major changes in government policy as a result of CARP lobbying, including restoring the retirement age to 65, increasing old age security for low-income seniors, and enhancing benefits for caregivers and an agreement to expand CPP. That's why more people want more CARP. So starting May 1st, a Western Canadian office will open in Surrey, B.C. CARP VP of Advocacy Wanda Morris will head it up and will take on the challenge of expanding the footprint of the organization. Hi, Wanda. Hi, Libby. Congratulations. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, I mean, it's been a, a great run here in Toronto, and I will be back, but I'm also super excited about uh, growing our membership uh, on the West Coast, uh, particularly BC and Alberta. I know there's a lot of our, our cohort out there, and I think if we can work together, we can do some really great things. Uh-huh. And uh, you are that is actually your home base, so you're excited to be moving back home. Uh, I am. I my son is there. I have a couple of grandbabies and a grand dog there, so can't wait to a see A grand dog, <laughs> okay. So first I've heard about moving for a grand dog, but of course that's not the reason that you're moving. Yeah. There really is a big base in BC, and uh, we really felt that we had to expand in a more formal way, though of course those chapters out there are very active. Uh, they are indeed, and we've been uh, coordinating different efforts right across the country, but I think there's nothing that substitutes for having somebody focused and on the ground. Uh, I'm excited about the new role. I will keep my role as the head of our national advocacy, so we've got some terrific uh, campaigns and some priorities for this year that uh, we're not going to take the foot off the gas on those, uh, and we can talk about those in a few minutes. But I think there's also some, some particular issues in BC. Uh, I know there's an election out there next month, and I'll be interesting to work with uh, whichever government is in power to make some improvements for seniors there. Mm -hmm. The word I very informal uh, take on the election is that it's likely that the current Liberal government will get back in. You know, I think that was the feeling. And then the latest polling seems to show a bit of a resurgence for the NDP. Of course, in NBC, the politics are, are very interesting. There's only really the two major parties, the, the Liberals, who represent more of the right of the spectrum, and the NDP uh, on the left. 
Uh, so I, I'm not uh, putting any money down myself, but we will, uh, as always, being a nonpartisan organization, we'll work with whoever yeah, is in power. Who, with whoever is in power, of course. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't put any money on it either. So you were mentioning some major initiatives that are underway and will continue to be underway. So what is at the top of the agenda right now? No. So the, the one that's at the top of our list is actually looking after the retirement savings of older Canadians and indeed all Canadians. We are, and I'm sure Libby, I don't have to tell you this, we, we've got a, a trifecta of, of problems that older seniors or older Canadians are dealing with. First is, uh, I mean, and good problems to have, but one is, is historic longevity. But that increases the risk that people will outlive their savings. Then we've also got the case of uh, historically low interest costs, which are great for uh, debtors, but not so great for savers and investors. And then the third issue is that uh, Canada has very high investment costs and fees due to a number of issues. So we uh, we can't do much. Indeed, we don't want to do anything about longevity and, and interest rates are being beyond our purview. But we are uh, tackling the issue of these uh, unreasonably high investment costs, which I think reflect a number of structural deficiencies. We have, in fact, already had one win, and we're very excited about a couple more things that we have planned. So that's clearly a, a really big focus of CARP right now. Um, looking out to the, the rest of the year, we have uh, two other areas that we're focusing on. One is uh, something we've talked about here on the show, which is the issue of elder abuse in long-term care facilities. Uh, our final priority for the year is, is that of surgical wait times. Uh, this isn't such an issue in Ontario that we're aware of, but particularly out west, we're hearing of people uh, waiting unconscionably long times for surgery. And of course, you don't even get on the list for surgery till you're in significant pain. So, so this is, is very debilitating. In fact, what happened is people were showing up in emergency rooms in the wrong year because their, their appointment date was so far in advance. So that's uh, another issue that we, we think it's time CARP tackled. Okay. Uh, so, Wanda, thanks. You know, we, we see your lovely face here all the time. Now, of course, we still are going to be talking frequently. Uh, it's just going to be over the phone lines. But uh, thanks for everything and all the best of luck. And um, onwards and upwards for CARP. Thanks so much, Libby. Thanks uh, to all your listeners for all their support in our campaigns, their memberships and their donations. And I just see us going from strength to strength. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We've all heard of boomerang children. But what about boomerang seniors? We'll talk about the latest intergenerational trend with author David Kravitz when we come back. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. We often refer to the boomerang generation, adults who move back in with mom and dad when they haven't been able to make it on their own. But now, adults in their 60s and 70s are moving back home to care for their parents. Author and VP of Zoomer Live and Zoomer U, David Kravitz, joins us to talk about this new phenomenon. David Kravitz, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so everybody has heard about boomerang children who move back as adults, but what is this new trend of boomerang seniors? The trend is describing seniors who are coming back either to the community that they used to live in or literally to the 
home of their parents in order to take care of parents who are even older than they are. So if a senior is 65, it implies that parents who are in their 90s or maybe older, these seniors are relocating to a community, to a community, um, be it a town, be it a facility, or be it maybe the original family home in order to take care of parents who are still living. Mm-hmm. And how widespread is it? It's beginning to be noticed, for sure. There was some data out of the United States that's reflected in uh, senior residences and facilities that are actually being designed now to accommodate the fact that the kids may be coming in. There might be an extra building. There might be an apartment. But it's certainly getting bigger and bigger. And I can throw one number at you that's kind of interesting in Canada. First of all, there's one and a half million people over the age of 80. And there's about 300,000 over the age of 90. Stats Canada did a... Uh, survey in 2012, so it's you know reasonably current, as to what percentage of caregivers of different ages are caring for parents. So between the ages of 55 and 64, half of those people who are providing care are providing care to a parent. That number drops to 20%. So 65 to 74-year-olds, 20% who are caregivers are providing the care uh, to a parent some of them to a child or other relative, but 20% to a parent. And by after 75, it becomes negligible. So in that band of up to the age of 75, if you have a living parent, that parent is, you know, 95 to 100. Or even maybe 85 to 90. 85 to 90. Well, if it's 85 to 90, you're looking at 800,000 Canadians. So... More and more and more. So the number is only growing as we live longer. And what's what's really interesting is that whether they physically move back to the, the old hometown or whether they physically move back to the, the actual house or whether they buy a new place and get together with the parents under one roof, it's all the same phenomenon. They're uh, caring for people who in the past wouldn't have been around, literally, uh, to be cared for. So what does this imply when you have people who are getting on themselves, having to care for people who are even older. The research on caregivers of all ages supports huge numbers feel stressed. There's guilt feelings because on the one hand, your time is tied up and you, you're angry at the person mm-hmm. you're caring for and you then feel guilty about being angry. You're physically tired. There's a fatigue factor. It definitely undermines their health. And what about your finances? So we've talked before here, uh, you and I, and I know you've done shows on this, on the, that whole sandwich generation phenomenon. It was one thing to say I'm in my 50s and I'm helping my dad who's in his uh, 80s, but wait a minute, 20 years later, he's still here. And I, you know, so what happened to my retirement? And I think that's going to become a big, big issue going forward because I'm stretched in every direction. And any, any thoughts on how that is going to end up being resolved? I think, I, I, I think we can jump cut if we, go like, if we just want to say, bang, you know, let's look at 20 years from now. I think what you're going to see is, and you're seeing it a little bit now for a different reason, the high cost of housing. I think you're going to see more families planning their housing for multi-generational use going forward. What about government? What should governments be thinking about now? 
Well, I think that the, the, they're starting to become aware of the physical facilities, and I think you're going to see more subsidies for renovation of homes and, and maybe even some sort of multi-generate, multi-purpose housing because it's clearly in the government's interest to encourage this because it pushes it out of the, the, the chronic care institutions, which are very expensive, very unaffordable to the government as well. So the more of this they can drive back into the community, the better from them, uh, for their point of view, you know, financially. So you're going to see, I think, some tax breaks and subsidies and maybe some, some creative problem solving, I hope. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say about this? I think that it's something that we, we've got to watch because uh, if we are successful in pushing longevity even further and possibly even reversing aging, which is starting to happen with uh, laboratory mice, mm. then— um, Good news if you're a lab mouse. Yeah, but, but if, if I'm a 20-something and I'm looking ahead 30 or 40 or 50 years, the 100-year-old today that's getting the letter from the queen might be a 200-year-old before we know it. So mm. then what? <laughs> okay. Then what? No, but it, regardless of whether it's that far or not, clearly it's going to keep going. And um, I think it's going to get, you're going to do a lot more uh, conversations about this. Okay. David Kravitz, thanks so much for that. Thank you very much. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review, a country artist who is still touring and making music turned 85 this week. We honor Loretta Lynn when we return. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international art state book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In Venice, millionaire British artist Damien Hirst has opened an exhibition called Treasures from the Wreck of the Unbelievable, a ship that sank off the African coast 2,000 years ago. The exhibition features 180 statues retrieved from the wreck at a personal cost to the artist of more than $50 million. Madrid's Reina Sofia Museum has launched an artistic journey through terror, panic, and fear that culminates in Guernica, Pablo Picasso's universal howl against the ravages of war. It runs through September. The only officially sanctioned way to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love is an exhibition at the de Young Museum in San Francisco. The Summer of Love Experience, Art, Fashion, and Rock and Roll runs through August 20th. And the Dallas Museum of Art has acquired Jackson Pollock's 1934 figure kneeling before Arch with Skulls, a major example of his early work and the fifth to enter the DMA's modern and contemporary holdings. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. Country singer Loretta Lynn celebrated her 85th birthday this week. She was born Loretta Webb in Butcher Hollow, a coal mining community in Kentucky. She grew up in a very poor household, and by the age of 15, she had met and married her husband, Oliver Vanetta Lynn Jr. Their relationship was extremely turbulent. He often had affairs and struggled with alcohol abuse. However, he also supported Loretta and her talent. For their sixth-year anniversary, he bought her her first guitar, and when she was 24, he encouraged her to become a singer and started serving as her de facto manager. Their life together became one of the great American stories, 
captured beautifully in the Oscar-winning movie Coal Miner's Daughter. They stayed married until Oliver's death in 1996, and during that time, their relationship was the basis for some of Loretta's iconic songs. Her first number one hit is without question based on her husband and his love of booze. Written and released in 1967, here is Don't Come Home A-Drinkin' with Lovin' On Your Mind. That was Loretta Lynn's famous song, Don't Come Home A-Drinkin'. Loretta celebrated her 85th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.